to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Open with me to Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Philippians chapter 4. How many of you have been with us the entire series here through the verse-by-verse study of the book of Philippians? And man, hasn't it been awesome? It's been incredible. I I encourage you, if you haven't, if you've missed a Sunday here or there or, you know, that you go to our website or you can go to our iTunes um, podcast or you can go to uh, Google Play and you can listen to those. You can go to SoundCloud as well and listen to th- th- those sermons on uh, through the book of Philippians. This book has been incredible, man. I, I've just, I-, I-, I think every book that I teach is my favorite book, but this particular one, <laughs> I don't know. It's It's been so impactful. Maybe it's just the season of life that I'm in and God, God's speaking to me personally about joy. I don't know about you, but it's a message that I need to hear at times because circumstances sometimes, you know, steal my joy and they, I allow them to overwhelm me with whatever, sorrow or depression or anxiety or whatever. And that's what this book is about, about finding joy in, in all, all seasons of life. And the Apostle Paul is the right guy to teach that. Again, contextually, he's teaching this prison, right? So, I mean, here's a guy that's saying, hey, you can be joyful in all circumstances, and, 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 he's, and he's doing it. He's not just saying it. He's actually living it out his, in his own life. Um, so, as we move forward, uh, one thing that the Lord put on my heart uh, earlier this week was that as we close out a book, because we are a, a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter book-by-book kind of a church. We're not teaching on topical uh, series. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think that churches that do that are, are bad churches or anything, but, but we're a discipleship church. If you come to this church, it's, it's, it's because you want, you want line by line, verse by verse, you know, uh, uh, concepts are discipleship through the word of God, and that's what we're doing. And, and I thought about this. I thought, Lord, you know, we're going to close up. If you've been with us, uh, since we started, uh, you've gone through 13 books of the Bible, 13 books of the Bible verse by verse from, from, the, from the pulpit uh, to the pew kind of situation. And, uh, you know, our goal is to teach from cover to cover. Our goal is to teach the entire counsel of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. And if you've been with us, like I said, then, then you know we, that's what we're doing. But here's the thing. I thought about this as we're closing out yet another book. I thought, Lord, your word is alive, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, man. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, and so it's got to be impacting in our lives, right? I mean, it has to be incredibly impacting in our lives. It's, it's not the, the deliverer of the message, it's the word himself, it's the word itself, it is God's word. There's power in his word, and so I thought, wow, we, we just went through four chapters of some very, well, we will this morning, we'll finish it, but very, very deep stuff that God is speaking to us about. And I can't but help to think that it hasn't impacted your life in some way. So I thought, the Lord kind of put on my heart, why don't we at the close of every book that we we go through, why don't we share what God has done in our life through the book? I, I need 10 people, 10 people that have sat through this series that God has spoken to you through this his word and, and impacted your life in such a way that you will 
Next week, you will come and you'll share five minutes. I just need five minutes of something God has done in your life through this book. Can I get ten hands right now? I'm just kidding. Not right now. But listen, I'll put you on the spot. I will make you do that. No, I'm not going to make you do it. Here's the thing. We're a spirit-led church. And I want the spirit of God to do the work, not me. I don't want to coerce anybody to do it. I feel like this is what the Lord wants to do. And if it is what he wants to do, then there will be people to show up at the end of the service right here. And I'll meet with you and we can talk about it. If you're interested in that, please let me know. But, but here's the thing. I want to do this moving forward. I want to take the Sunday after we close the book. And I want to just set, set the course of saying, hey, what did God do in your life? What can we expect coming up? Because guess what? We're going to, the, the following Sunday, we're going to move right into Colossians. And we're going to go verse by verse through Colossians. And, and so that's, our, that's what we do. That's our model. We're discipleship church. We believe that this is the way that God would have us disciple. And so I want to encourage you, man, if God is doing, doing an incredible work in your life, then, hey, come share that. Come share that with us. Um, as we come to the close of Philippians this morning in chapter 4, uh, the theme has really not changed. Really from about verse 10 down through the end of the chapter, Paul is talking about a certain kind of mindset that we're called to have. He's telling us that really, and, and he's really kind of, he's built on what he said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, where he said, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus also. And, and Jesus had a humble mind. He had, he had a mind that was not a negative mind. He had a positive mindset. He, he focused on things that were true and, and, and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy. He, he's that kind of savior that, that he had this kind of mind, and he wants us to have that same kind of mind. And Paul said, listen, if you have that kind of mind, if you meditate on those kinds of things, something incredible will happen. You will be content. You will have an, a content mind. You see, what we meditate on produces desire in our hearts. So if we're meditating on things that are good, our desires are going to be good. But the Bible also says that if we allow the lust of the flesh to be, if we meditate on those things, then we can expect to practice those things. And, and so as, as we, we close out the chapter, he's talking about a mindset. He's saying, hey, man, have a positive mindset because that will lead to contentment. And, and as you're content, you're going to under, that contentment will move into your practice and how you live your life. In particular, as he closes the chapter now, he's going to say your actions relating to your finances. And so he, he, he builds this case. I think it's so interesting that it's not by chance. It's, I mean, Paul is writing the letter, but it's the Holy Spirit really writing the letter. And he's writing this letter as he's saying, be content. Okay, you got to be content. And this is the way you're content. You focus on, you meditate on these things that are true and, 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 and honorable and just and pure and lovely, commendable, and excellent and worthy of praise. You focus on those things. And that will lead to the way that will lead to a correct way of handling your finances. It'll lead to that place. And, th and really, that's what he's moving into. And so I want to, that's kind of the context as we move into uh, verses 14 through 23. And so let's stand and we're going to just read God's word together. We have an expectation of him speaking to us today. Amen. Philippians chapter 4. We're just going to pick it up in verse 10 and read it in context here. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. 
You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content, I know how to be brought low. I know how to, be, how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me um, help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we just humbly come, God, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. We know that we are closing a book, and yet you are opening our eyes to to maybe new things today. Maybe you're opening our closed heart to something new that we have not understood. And maybe we've We've gotten this, but we've, we've missed the importance of it. Maybe our giving has become ritual rather than relational. And so we ask this morning, Lord, that you would speak to every heart here today and that your word would lead and direct us. We ask your spirit to come and teach us on this topic of giving this morning, Lord. And I pray that you would just get me out of the way, that you would be seen, and that, you, that we could learn what you desire for us and the reason behind it. So we just come now, our hearts open, our Bibles open on our lap. We have expectation of you moving in this place today. And so we just rest in you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. <laughs> you know... This is one of those topics when I come to in the Bible, I'm like, man, I feel so uncomfortable talking about money. So uncomfortable about talking about money in the church because when, when I got, like, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't go to church when I was a young kid. I don't know anything about the church too much. When I was 24, I got saved in my bedroom. I started going to church. And there were all these preconceived ideas, probably things that I heard or things that I had made up in my mind, maybe things the enemy had tried to use to keep me away from God or something, but, but one of those things was money. One of those things was like, you know, I, you walk into a church and you feel like, man, they're talking about money again. You know, it seems like every week it comes up and, you know, the, you know how the plate is passed and you feel so like, 
do, like, I have to give something, and you're trying to find change, but you don't have any, so you have to put a bill in there. Oh, maybe you don't know that. I, know how, I don't know how that feels, but, <laughs> but, but you're like, man, you know, you feel the pressure, and, you know, so it's been a stigma in the church, and, and I think why is because, number one, the enemy has done a great job of trying to hinder Christians from an incredible discipline, number one, an incredible blessing that God has put into our life. We know that, you know, money makes the world go round, right? We understand that. Like, uh, but, but there is something inherently evil and inherently good, both. Money is amoral. It, it's, it's not bad or good. It's just, but there's, there, there are motives within a person's heart that are attached to money, and God can use that, and the enemy can use that. And so the church has sort of, I would say, done a bad job in a lot of ways of communicating uh, th this concept of what it means to give to the church, what an offering is, you know, what the mandate of Scripture is relating to giving. And I, I know a lot of churches will uh, they'll utilize Old Testament passages to really try and pry money out of people's pocketbooks, you know. Pul pastors will say from the pulpit, hey, we're going to pass the plate now. If you'll just pull out your wallet and open up to page 20, that would be great. You know, those kinds of things, like all of these kinds of little little things that, that because we're trying to get, you know, trying to, uh, you know, and I don't know the motive of the heart of every person, but I can tell you there's charlatans in the church that have done a great job of making this thing of, of, of giving, like, Something that nobody, that people don't want to do. A lot of people don't, they don't even want to hear about it. And when the, when the, when the, when it comes up in church, then they go, see, they're talking about money again. Listen, if you come to this church, if you've been here regularly, you know we don't talk about money hardly ever. The only time that we talk about money is when it comes up in the scripture. How many times have we even told you that we had a need in the church? Probably very rarely. We don't talk about money in the church because, uh, you know, and, and I would say that I feel, as I've been studying this this week and stuff, I kind of feel uh, a burden in my own heart as a pastor that I've underestimated the, the importance of giving. We have so underinflated the idea of giving that we don't want to talk about it in church, almost as if it's an embarrassment. It's not an embarrassment. The Lord speaks about money a lot in Scripture. It's not an embarrassment to speak about. There's something powerful, powerful in it that the enemy wants to hide. And so as your pastor, I'm saying, hey, I'm going to speak about this topic when it comes up in Scripture, and I will do my very best to teach it from a scriptural con context. And, you know, I, I, it won't be perfect, but I want you to know my heart on it. You know, we trust the Lord. Our motto is, where God guides, he provides. I don't have to really make a lot known to you because God will make it to you. We obviously have expenses and all of these kinds of things. I mean, you can see, but, but at the end of the day, God, God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want you giving reluctantly or under compulsion pressure, and that's why we don't pass a plate. That's why we put a box in the back. You can give online. Nobody has to know what you're doing. 
And that's also why I choose not to know who gives what. That way it's, I'm free to shake anybody's hand. It doesn't matter. I don't have that because the flesh is the flesh and it's easy to, you know, get entangled in those kinds of things and start preferentially treating people differently because they give or they don't give. I don't know any of that and, I, and I'm glad I don't. I don't want to know. I just want to teach the word God. So the Bible has a lot to say about money. In fact, you know, on the topic of prayer and faith, the Bible only has about 500 verses mentioning the word prayer or mentioning the word faith. 500 verses each. Do you know how many verses the Bible has containing money? 2,000. 2,000. How important is giving? Well, at least doubly as important, God would say, as it relates to prayer and faith, which are huge, right? Prayer and faith are huge topics of the Bible. There's power in prayer and faith, and yet giving is mentioned, or, or the concept of money is mentioned almost double over those combined. That's because there is, God cares about it, and he, 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 he wants to speak into our lives, and there's power in it. Now, I don't know if you knew this. This blew my mind as well. Did you know that Jesus spoke more about money and possessions uh, than he did about heaven and hell? Jesus spoke more about money and possessions than he did about heaven and hell. Do you know that in the Gospels of uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke that it's estimated that one out of every six verses deals with money somehow? One out of every six verse, verses in, in the Gospels, particularly those three books, out of the 29 parables that Jesus uh, told, 16 of them deal with money. 16 of them have something to do with people and money. God clearly understands the power of money, and, and that's why he wants to speak to us about it uh, through his word. He knows the temptations of it, and he knows the benefits of it. And he knows the benefit of the importance of giving. And, 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 and so our goal is this morning is to gain a proper understanding of the importance of giving and how to deal with our finances. Because here's the thing, as you know, it can become your God. Money can become your God, and it's not very hard for that to happen. I, I would say out of every idol in the world, besides your spouse and your children, I would say money is right up there. It, it, it can easily take the place of the, the seat of your, the throne of your heart, and, and you, your, your actions will begin to pursue that rather than the Lord. And so God wants us to understand the importance of it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Money... Uh, can become our God, but without it, you know, we can't really buy other idols, but through it, we can indulge in all kinds of evil. And that's why Paul told Timothy in, in 1 Timothy 6.10, he said, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Because through money, you can do all kinds of different things. He goes on, he says, it is through the cravings that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. They can get you in big trouble. This love of money, the pursuit of money, and, and in fact, you know, as, you, as you've heard, you know, or maybe you yourselves have struggled with this at times, that uh, people will do anything for money, 
anything. They'll lie, cheat, steal. They'll do, you know, they'll, they'll be dishonest with their taxes. They will do whatever they have to do to protect that little idol called money. And that happens in the church too. It happens in the church as well. Paul told Timothy, beware of this. Listen, the, the concept of money is, again, it's not, it's not evil or good. It's, it's, it, it's neutral. But it's the, the desire of the heart. It's, 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 the, it's the love of money that is the sin. And when you love money, listen, it, it, it will produce all kinds of desires in your heart that will be evil. All kinds of evil desires. Money can't buy happiness, but it sure can buy a lot of sin. It can buy a whole bunch of sin, man. Now, God values money for different reasons than we do. For many of us, money becomes important because it helps us get what we want, go where we want, and do what we want. See, the emphasis is on what we want. God sees it a little bit differently. He, 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 he sees that money can be used uh, by him to give us what he wants, to take us where he wants us to go, and to help us to do what it is that he's calling us to do. That's how he sees money. It's just something that he uses as an objective. And, and let, me, let me let you in on a little secret. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need money at all. God is not tapped on resources. Like He's not like, man, i got to get some money out of these people today. <laughs> I mean, if I don't, the, this, this place is going to close down. I mean, the radio station is going to shut down. All this stuff, you know, how people use it like that. If God's in it, you ain't got to worry about it. If God's in it, you, you do not have to worry about it. He will uh, put, it on, put it on a person's heart. He, he, he uses money. He uses money to, to give us what he wants us to have, to take us where he wants us to go so that we can do what he wants us to do. And so we have a peculiar relationship with money. Some of us hate it. Some of us love it. And some of us have the correct perspective of what, what it is that we're supposed to do with it. It's, we, we hold it loosely in our hands. And I don't know where you fit in that category, but, but our relationship with money is important. It's so important that it, it really affects our eternal eternity. It, it affects how we spend eternity. Not whether or not we go to heaven or hell, but it does affect how we get to enjoy eternity as Christians it, gets, it, it matters in that respect. So it's eternal. It's something that matters in the eternal realm. There's many, many things that, that have no uh, correlation with the horizontal and the vertical, but this particular topic does, and it matters. And there's, there, there's, there's rewards as it relates to how we deal with our finances in, in eternity. <laughs> Martin Luther said something interesting. He said that there's three, three conversions in the Christian life. There's conversion in the heart, there's conversion in the mind, and then there's conversion of the pocketbook. And Spurgeon said it the same way. He said, you know, the, the thing about Christians is that our pocketbooks seem to be the last thing that is sanctified, that, is, that, that makes that conversion. And it's true. Because here's the reality, is that, uh, you know, we, we don't really, we have this stigma or this you know, kind of tight-gripped uh, grasp on money until we have an understanding. But it's funny, once we have an understanding of 
of, of, of what God's concept is and how we're called to, to be stewards and, and these kinds of things, all of a sudden our, the grip becomes less. You ever you experience that? Like the more you get to know about a topic like money, the more you can say, okay, well, I, I get that. Okay, now I can understand. And maybe for some of you, I mean, I've had questions like that. Like why are we, why do we have to fast? Why, I don't get that. Like why do I have to do that? It's a discipline. It's something that God uses in our lives. He, 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 he's saying, hey, go without to focus on me. I want, you to, I want you to just set aside something to give yourself over to me in this area. It's, it's like a surrender. And, and, and so, you know, as we gain better understanding of that, then we can understand, as we understand the why, it's easier to apply, isn't it? When we know why we're doing something. The title of my message this morning is Understanding the Importance of Giving. And uh, in, in these nine verses, Paul teaches four reasons why we should give generously to God. First, if you're taking notes, we find giving creates a partnership with God. Giving creates a partnership with God. Look at verse 14. He said, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now, we've all heard the phrase, you know, put your money where your mouth is, right? Like the reason we say that, the entire point of that is to say, if you're so confident and you so believe what it is that you're saying, put something valuable up against it. And we'll see how confident you really are. So put your money where your mouth is. That's what it means. That's where the concept comes from. Uh, in the church, we have a, a different saying. It's put your money where your faith is. Put your money where your faith is. It's the same concept, you know. If you're talking big about God and about his ability to do all of these things, then you can also put something up that's valuable to you and say, listen, I'll trust him with that. I'll trust him with this, this, this thing that's super valuable to us on the horizontal because it's what makes the world go around. Now, there's a lot of people that are big talkers, but their actions don't support their words, right? And Paul met a whole bunch of them. Like he met a ton of people that were like that, that, that said, oh, yeah, Oh, yeah, we totally believe in the gospel, and yet there was only one group of people that were willing to support the gospel moving forward in Macedonia, and it was these Philippian believers. They partnered with God through the apostle Paul to take the gospel into uncharted areas where, where it hadn't gone. He, they, they said, hey, man, Paul, we want to support what you're doing. Why? Because they like Paul because he's a good guy. He seemed really knowledgeable, and he was really a great orator, and he had great illustrations. He was kind of funny. So, hey, let's support that guy. No, that, that had nothing to do with it. It had to do with the message. They were, they, were, they were partnering with God through Paul. When you're giving to a ministry, you're partnering with God. And that's why it's important to research the ministry, right? I mean, it's like, okay, my local church. That's why when you become part of a church... You are, you are giving to God. You're not giving to me. 
You're not giving to other, to other staff members or anything like that. You're giving to God. And you're supporting the ministry that's going on in God. L listen to what he said here. He said, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Now that word share is a partnership kind of word. It, it, it means that, hey man, Paul, we want to share in what you're doing. We want to share in, 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 in the move forward of the gospel. We want to support it. We want to participate in it. We want to be connected to it. It's speaking about a joint activity. It's like a, it's like a joint venture. He's saying, hey, man, we want to form a JV with you because we know God's in what you're doing, and we care about the message that's going forward. The, the trouble that Paul had was he had limited resources. Like, but he was content with it. He just got done saying that. I, I don't, you know, whether I have a lot of money or a little money, whether I'm starving or I'm, you know, abounding with, with all kinds of provisions, I'm good. It doesn't matter what I have. I'm content with what God has given me. Notice, last week, these, these Philippian believers, Paul says there came a point in time where they couldn't support him where they couldn't support, they couldn't, they had no opportunity. But opportunity arose, and they arose with it. And they began to support Paul uh, and, and partner with God in that. We, we understand the, part, the, the aspects of partnering because we do it all the time. Like you probably have a gadget in your pocket or maybe, uh, you know, some, some, something that represents partnership with somebody in this world, like a company or something. You're supporting that company. Without your partnership, they couldn't keep the doors open, right? They, they, that company would go out of business if you didn't buy what, what it is that they have. So you're supporting them. You are, you're, you're, you're buying into their, to what it is that they're doing. You're supporting the, the future, you know, uh, R&D endeavors that they have by purchasing these kinds of things. You're, you're partnering. Maybe you don't get the benefit of what that means later, but we understand the concept of partnering because we do it all the time. I have a partnership with Coca-Cola. I, I love Coke Zero, so, you know, I have a serious partnership with them. And, uh, but, but here's the thing. If Coca-Cola, if it came down to my finances being in a situation where I was like, okay, it's Coca-Cola or it's the church, where am I going to give? Prayerfully, and hopefully I'm going to give to the church because this has no eternal value. You see, it, it, it'll, it will come down at times to choices. It will come down to, and, and what we'll see here in a moment is that really our gift ought to be a sacrifice because it's worship. And we'll look at that in a second. These Philippian churches were, were giving up something. These Philippian believers were giving up something. They weren't giving out of their excess, guys. They were giving out of their poverty. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 2. He says, we, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They were extremely poor. And yet they were giving. Sadly, no other church supported Paul. No other group of people from this region supported Paul at this point in time. 
only these guys. And they were giving out of their poverty. And I would say that not much has changed. So you look at polls today and you read about statistics about giving in church and stuff. And there's, uh, there's a Gallup poll that came out in 2018. And it says 17% of churchgoers say that they give 10% of their income to a local church. This is just stats. And do you know what the reality is? Only 3 to 5% actually do it. But 17% say they do it. You know what that is? That's called Ananias and Sapphira syndrome, right? It's like, hey, I'm giving more. I'm giving because I want to have that appearance of giving, but I'm really not. And so there's, there's lots of people lying about what they give because they, they want to have an appearance of giving. Well, hey, great. You get a pat on the back by somebody here, but you're lying about it, so you get the answer to God for that. That's not worth it. I, I mean, that, <laughs> that doesn't seem worth it to me. I don't know. But here's a few other stats. Sadly, um, some Christians um, currently give about 2.5% of their income, but during the Great, great uh, Depression, people gave around 3.3%. So <laughs> we have more, but we're giving less, right? And not only that, but you, you, you say, like, well, if I had more resources, I would give more, right? That, that's a reasonable thing to say. Like, if I had more, I would give more. No, you wouldn't. Statistically speaking, people, uh, you know, groups that make families that, that bring in um, $75,000 or more, um, only about 1% of that group actually give just 10% of what they make. So, so the reality is, is that it's not a resource problem. It's a heart problem. It's not I need more. It's that I have to learn to be content with what I have. And then, and, and here, here's the crazy thing, is that it's all God's anyway, right? I mean, we, all, we understand this, like, this is all the Lord's, and he's given the resources uh, to us, and he's given us the capacity to make money, he's given us our health, he's given us everything that we have, right, for, listen, life and godliness. So life, what is life? Life is this, it's us being able to do what we do. So he's gifted that to you. And he's gifted you with um, everything you need for godliness. He's given you his word. He's given you his son. He's given you his Holy Spirit. So the question is, will we be content with that? And will we, will we, will we, will we have these disciplines in our life that will, will end up being incredible blessings to us? So, so here's what the question always is then. It's like, okay, well... Um, you know, how much am I supposed to give then? You know, that's always a big question with people because we want to toe the line, right? <laughs> we we want to follow, really our heart wants to follow rules, and that's why we do that. Like, we, we want to follow rules, but the thing is when Jesus came, he fulfilled all the rules for you, right? And so we're living under the law of love. Everything we do has nothing to do with, although they're, they're the same kinds of things, like God is telling us to do the same things, like, you know, don't have any idols before you, all these kinds of things, but you're not doing it because it's law. You're doing it because you love God. It's relational. So it's about the relationship. And giving fits in that same parameter. If you look in the Old Testament, you'll find a number. You'll see that Abraham was the first one to ever give a tithe, and a tithe means 10%. And so, you know, that's really the mandate. And as you move through the rest of Scripture, people say, okay, it's, it's 10%. That's what you're supposed to give. Actually, if you really look at the Old Testament 
um, you know, if you take all of what they had to give according to the law, if you want to be legalistic about it, they gave about 23% actually. So it wasn't 10%, it was about 23%, and it had to do with all different types of things that they had to give. There was, and, and that was just to fulfill the law. That wasn't like free will offerings or anything like that. That was just to, just to toe the line. Right? And, and so as we move into the New Testament, right, the, the, the fact that we're under a new covenant changes things a little bit. God's expectation is still God's expectation. Like, like his, his standard didn't change. But Jesus, rather than, rather than God bringing the standard down, Jesus brought us up to the standard. Right? But, and, and as it relates to giving in the church, God, Paul talks about, um, you know, instituting sort of not a law, but more of a relational kind of giving. He, he said we're supposed to give in the same way that we've been given to. And he said it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 through 15. He said, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, right? Move to verse 11. He goes on and he says, you will be enriched in every way. Why? To be generous in every way. Doesn't that sound like God's doing something for a reason? Doesn't that sound like God is blessing for a purpose? Like, it, it's not so you can get more, but it's so you can give more, right? That's what it's saying. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. What happens when God's people get from God and they give to God is the people of God begin to thank God for what he's doing. There, there's this circle of blessing that happens, and then God says, man, let me dump some fire on that, and let me continue to flow through that because that's done correctly. That's how it's supposed to be done. He goes on in verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, listen, but also overflowing many thanksgivings to God. It's always about his glory. Everything leads to the glory of God. Every single thing we do ought to ultimately give him glory. It should be about him. Everything. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all, all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. We're to cheerfully and generously give according to the way that God has given to us. That is the mandate of, really, New Testament giving. It's not about a number. It's about looking at your resources and saying, God, how have you blessed me? And how can I be a blessing to other people through that? It's like, it's really a hard issue at the end of the day. It comes back to, you know, um, I just want to toe the line. You know, you can do that. But you can also expect for God to do that with you. Because that's what we'll see here in a moment. Is the way that we give is kind of the way that he gives. The way that we give is kind of the way he gives to us. And so if we're not faithful with a little, then he knows we're surely not going to be faithful with a lot. Right? But if we're faithful with a little, then guess what? 
he knows that we'll be faithful with a lot. And sometimes that doesn't happen. <laughs> we get a lot and we get greedy. But God knows your heart. He knows what he's doing. We should give cheerfully and generously. David said it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 29, verse 14. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. David is telling us that, that everything that we have has been given by God, and we're stewards of it. And so, you know, we, we need to give in that same way. Like, hey, man, if you want a number, then whatever, you figure that number out. You pray about that number, and you figure it out, and then you do what God tells you to do. But you give, you give cheerfully. You say, Lord, I, this is what I've decided to do, and then you just you do it. You make it that discipline. You make that be the discipline of your heart. What you're doing when you do that is you're partnering with God. What's crazy, with his resources, you're partnering with him, but you benefit at the end of the day. He's like, here, here's 20 bucks. Now, give, give me some of that back, and you're going to be blessed later for it, right? <laughs> That's crazy. That's what, that's what he's done. He's given you everything that you have. So we need to be faithful with that. And we need to, uh, you know, we need to decide in our heart what it is that we desire to give. And then we give it in obedience to the Lord for the glory of God. That's why we do it. Secondly, uh, giving becomes a platform of exponential reward. It becomes a platform for exponential reward. Look at verse 17. Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. If someone were to tell you to invest $220 in 1980 in a little startup company called Apple, you know, 220 bucks, you would now be sitting on stock that's worth $560,000, right? So you'd be like $220, $560,000 in a little less than 40 years, that's pretty good. Um, that was a pretty good investment, you know. That's some exponential reward for uh, what, what would be considered probably a small uh, a small, you know, investment. Although, $220 in 1980 was, was about 2% of the average income because the average income was like $10,550. How many of you made that back in 1980? Awesome, you're doing good. You were average then, but... Um, so we look at numbers like that and we go, man, I wish I would have done that, right? Man, I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have invested in Apple or and this or that, or maybe it's Bitcoin or whatever it is. If I would have bought 100 Bitcoin back when it was like 0.001, you know, cents, then right now I'd be sitting on a billion dollars, right? Woulda, shoulda, coulda. And that's what we do, the same kind of concept we do with the Lord as it relates to investing in the kingdom. Because when we invest in the kingdom, there is an exponential reward that comes, as a result, there's an exponential reward that comes. It is far greater than the 2,545% gain you would have gotten from investing in Apple in 1980 with $220. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Right before he said you can't serve two masters, he said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And what Jesus is saying is that 
um, your money is better spent in investing in the kingdom of God because not only will it reward, it, it will its reward be eternal and it will last forever, but it, it will also um, keep your heart kingdom focused. So he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you're focused on, if you're giving to the kingdom, then your heart's focused on the kingdom. And that's a good thing. We have so many distractions that are trying to pull us away from focusing on the kingdom because the enemy knows that when Christians focus on the kingdom, uh, things happen. God moves in big ways, right? And there, there's a harvest out there that God's waiting for laborers to, to rise up and to go out and get. But, but people's hearts have to be turned to kingdom focus. That's why he's saying if you, if you put your treasure in that, man, look out. Not only will you see incredible effects on the horizontal, but you will have incredible rewards when you get to heaven. Rewards that will not fade. Paul said it like this in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Uh, so just real quick, God's not like saying, you should just give me everything that you have in excess and not enjoy anything. Like, you want to get an ice cream? You should probably give that to God, not go get an ice cream. That's not what he's saying. It's not wrong to enjoy life. It's not wrong to have things. It's not wrong to buy things. None of that is wrong. But put it in context to what it is that you're doing with, with, with your heart. Where is your heart? Paul's telling Timothy, you know, if you're rich, which I would say in... in Worldly standards, all of us are fairly rich. Like, you go to China, you go to India, you see a lot of poverty. So all of us are doing pretty good. Some of us have, you know, two cars. <laughs> we've got air conditioning. We've got enough rooms. We've got multiple rooms. We all have our bedrooms, you know, and, and stuff. And in other countries, people are living in, you know, ten families in a, in a one-room, you know, house and, and these kinds of things. You know, we're, we're relatively rich. So Paul's really talking to us. He goes on here and he says, don't be deceived by, by the uncertainty of riches, but on, or don't set your hope on uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for their future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What is truly life is not getting more. That is so empty. That is so empty. And you, you know it. And we, we, we know it. We've tried it. Probably that's how we came to Christ is we tried everything else first. We tried to pursue everything else that might fulfill that void in our heart. And we finally realized gee, only Jesus can do that. And so we, we allowed him to do that and it changed our life. Paul's saying, listen, I'm not looking for the gift. I'm not focused on the wrong thing. I'm focused on the gain that you'll get as partakers. You're, you're, you're entering into an exponential platform that God is going to use for eternal reward. Now, the, the, the reality is there's tons of pastors that, that, um, that seek the gift alone, right? There's plenty that seek the gift alone, but, but Paul wasn't that kind of guy. He didn't seek the gift alone. Paul sought their, their fruit. He wanted them to be fruitful in heaven. Moving on, verse 18, we, 
I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphrodites the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable to pleasing to God. The third point, if you're taking notes, is giving is a means of worship before God. Giving is a means of worship before God. These believers had given so generously that Paul was well supplied. He, he was so well supplied. They didn't just send enough, like they sent excess. They didn't send just enough to meet the need, but they sent a little bit over the need to the point where he says, man, I'm well supplied now. Um, oh, that we would be kind of the kind of Christians that wouldn't just fulfill the need, but we would go a little bit over. We would take the higher road. We would say, here's a little bit of overflow. That's the kind of Christians these, these uh, Philippians were. Notice that he says, your gifts are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable, pleasing to God. This is Old Testament terminology. It's imagery here. What he's saying is that to the Philippians is that your sacrificial uh, gift to me is a sacrifice to God. And it is acceptable and it is pleasing. It is without blemish. The, the heart is right. They're not giving to get, like, hey, I'm going to give God 10 bucks because he's going to give me 100. That's not why they're doing it. They're doing it because they want to they partner with God. They want to be part of this exponential platform, yes, but, but they're, they're focused on what, what Paul needs in order to take the gospel forward. That's why they're doing it. And he's saying your, ex, your gift is accept, acceptable. Not only that, it's pleasing to God. The, the, the writer of Hebrews tells us why it's pleasing to God and, and to do it like this. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what, ha what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So when we share our resources with other people, we share our resources with, you know, and give to the Lord, then you know what? We're pleasing to God because he's a giver and he wants his people to be givers. Jesus taught the same, same kind of a concept, you know. Uh, well, actually, when we give to the Lord, it's not about how much we give, but it's about the motive of why we give. It's about not necessarily what we give, but it's how we give it. It's about our heart, right? Jesus sitting across from the treasury in the temple sees the, the Pharisees and all these guys bringing loads of cash in, dumping it in the offering box. And, you know, I'm sure his disciples are going, whoa, look at all that cash, you know. And then, then this poor widow lady comes in and she drops in two mites and Jesus looks at his disciples and he said she gave more than any of them because she gave out of her poverty and they gave out of their abundance. The point is, our greatest act of worship is not found in the sum of the gift, but in the sacrifice of the gift. It's not found in the sum. It's found in the sacrifice. We should be sacrificial uh, givers because it's our worship to God. It's how we worship the Lord. It's part of the way that we worship to God. David said, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. I will not. I will make it. I will make a sacrifice in order to offer to the Lord. That's what he's saying. And we as New Testament believers, we should give to the point that it's sacrificial, that it costs us something. Not only does giving give us a means of worship before God, but also giving will produce blessings in the here and now. Look at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And, and, and the reality of, is it of this. Keep this in context. Don't start quoting this out of context of what he's talking about. He started talking about what contentment looks like. Then he starts talking about how you get contentment with this right mindset. He talks about how to be sacrificial and what you're doing. And he says, when you're sacrificial, my God will supply your needs. 
right? We want to live in excess and abundance, and then we want to say, oh, but, and then we want to quote this verse and say, hey, brother, God's going to supply your every need. That is not in context. It's in context to somebody who is given to the point that it hurts, and Paul is saying, because you've given to the point that it hurts, God is going to supply your every need. You just keep your hands open like this, and God is just going to flow the money through your hands because you are giving in a sacrificial way, and he'll meet your needs. So that's part of the problem with us, right, is we're worried about God not meeting our needs. If I give some of the money that I have now, then how am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to pay my utilities? How am I going to God will supply. And that doesn't mean we're bad stewards. We, we budget this stuff, right? I mean, we, 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 get, we get in the context of being content with what, what God has given us. We give in a sacrificial manner, and then we watch God supply our every need. That's what it's talking about. And here's the thing. When we do that, there is, there is a here and now blessing as a result. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Solomon said it like this in Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. One gives freely yet grows in all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever uh, brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. The, the theme through the thread of Scripture is this. The more you give to God, the more he will give to you. You can look at it from the Old Testament, the New Testament, backwards, forwards. It doesn't matter how you look at it. That is the reality. There is a circle of blessing when it relates to giving in abundance. And there's also, there, there's sort of this, this God's going to withhold if you withhold. So he's not going to give you as much because he, he's entrusting you resources to use for his glory. And so you can enjoy that in the here and now. He will supply your every need. And when he gives more, it's not so that we can get more. It's so that we can give more. So we live a level of contentment. That, that's what we need to seek is, Lord, how much is enough? And hopefully it's not the J.D. Rockefeller, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more, Lord. Paul moves on to the salutation. He says, greet every saint in, in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul is greeting every person in Philippi, and he's not desiring to overlook a single one of them because he is their spiritual father, and he loves them. He loves these people with all his heart, <laughs> not because they give to him, right? That's conditional, right? This is an unconditional, I don't even know some of you, but I love you, is what he's saying. Greet everyone. Don't overlook a single person. I love every single one of you guys, is what he's saying. Oh, I'm saying that too, but you know, this is in the text. But, and notice what he says. The brothers that are with me, they greet you as well. And so Paul is modeling what Christianity should look like. Uh, you might meet another brother from another church. They're your brother. Like you might meet somebody that doesn't believe exactly what you believe, but they're in the body of Christ. They're your, they're your sibling in Christ, right? So we love them. We just love them. And we minister to them. And, and where we disagree on secondary issues, we just leave those things. And we'll say, hey, have the conversation, of course, and enjoy that. But don't let it divide you. Paul says, the brothers who are with me greet you. And I love this because he mentions those also, those of Caesar's household. And 
I'm, I believe a lot of people believe different things about what that means. I think in the context of what Paul's saying, he wants these Philippians to know that he is on mission no matter where he is. Like those in Caesar's household have come to Christ, and they want to greet you too because I've told them about you. We're a family is what he's saying. And then he ends, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. He wants the grace of God to be upon them, and we always want God's grace, don't we? God, give me some more grace, but he's giving you grace so that you can give it back out. Don't ever forget that. You're called to be gracious too. So this ends the book of Philippians and uh, the Joyful Life series. And if you follow what this letter says, you will find the joy in Jesus that he died to give you, and you will be able to live that out no matter what's going on in your life. If you just simply apply what he's talking about here, this is, uh, if you want a formula for joy, you can find it in the book of Philippians, and it's all centered on Christ, and it's all centered on what Christ has done for us. What an incredible, incredible book that we've been given in the Bible itself, but also in this letter. It is deep and rich, and I love it so much. So I hope you have a better understanding this morning of giving. I hope that you have a biblical understanding from, from the text on what is given. And if anything is not clear, please come talk to me. I would love to clarify anything that maybe didn't make sense to you or anything like that because the last thing I want is people to walk out here going, yeah, there was another bad example of someone teaching on, on, on this topic and did not do a good job of clarifying. So, so if you have any questions, please come up and talk to me afterwards. But, but I, I, I pray that, you know, you, you've gained some better understanding and that you will apply what you heard today. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and what an incredible privilege, Lord, to be able to teach your word verse by verse, chapter by chapter, Bibles on laps, smiles on our faces, Lord, in climate control. You have blessed us so tremendously, God. And we just want to say this morning that we are so thankful for you. God, we thank you for all that you give us in our life, everything that we need for life and godliness. We thank you for the trials that we, end up, that we um, endure at times, Lord. We thank you for uh, just all the blessings that you flow down on us, Lord. And I pray that you would just fill us with joy. Help us to uh, be those content Christians, as Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 4 here. Lord, help us to meditate on things that are, that, are, that are true and honorable and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. And Lord, help us to be those that hold our finances loosely in our hands, that we would recognize, hey, these are, these are your resources, God. I am simply, uh, I am simply a, a steward of what you've given me. And I know from personal experience that when we handle, handle the, the resources you've given us that way, how that circle of blessing comes around in our life and how incredible uh, you will move in our lives and use us in, in ways that we couldn't even imagine. I'm not speaking from a theological standpoint, but from a personal experience. And I thank you. And I know that you desire to do that in the heart and lives of, of each of your people according to your will. 
And so I just ask, Lord, that you move in, in the midst of our hearts this morning. And if we have a hang-up in this area, that you would release us from that bond. That you would unshackle us by the blood of Christ from that greed or whatever it is that we, we so want to hold on to things. But may we hold on to you tighter. May we trust you more. And may we be generous with all that you've given us, Lord. We thank you so much for this morning, Lord. We ask for your Holy Spirit to move in this place. Continue to be with us now in Jesus' name. And as we continue to pray, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't have a relationship with the Lord, listen, that's the first step before you, you give. You receive the gift that God has given you. He gives so that you can give. And so the first thing you need to do is receive the gift of Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning, you lift your hand, and I just want to pray a prayer with you that you would receive Jesus. If there's anyone here this morning that needs a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, just lift your hand up to receive the free gift of salvation, to receive forgiveness for your sins. It is the best decision you'll ever make in your life, turning your heart to Jesus. One last call. Is anyone here this morning needs a relationship? Father, we pray that as we move forward, Lord, that we wouldn't look back. And we ask you by your spirit now to, to just direct our steps as we close this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.